0: we we'll
1: Dead Pilot Society. I am your host, Andrew Reich. Hope everyone is staying safe, being kind to yourself, being kind to others, wearing your masks. Personally, I've uh, I spent hundreds of dollars on supplies to plant a pandemic garden, and everything is yellow and being devoured by bugs. But it's good. Everything is uh, good. So I've got a bunch of stuff to tell you. Most importantly, we have a show this Saturday. It's a live stream show on Zoom, and if you want to watch, you'll need to buy a ticket. But tickets are only 10 bucks, and all the money we raise will go to charity, specifically the Hollywood Support Staff Relief Fund. Uh, A lot of the people who make this town run and who are underpaid at the best of times are out of work right now. And a lot of them are 1099 employees who don't qualify for unemployment. They're hurting and they need help. And a bunch of showrunners created this fund to help and we want to help them out. So, uh your money's going to a good cause and the show's going to be great. It's a killer cast Tig Nataro, Kate Walsh, Martin Starr, Nicole Bloom, Ego Wodum, more amazing talent, all in little boxes on your computer screen, reading A Really Smart and Funny Dead Pilot by Corinne Kingsbury and Noel Valdivia. Uh, Corinne's the creator of In the Dark and FAM. Noel has been a writer and producer on Happy, Ash vs. Evil Dead, Mozart in the Jungle. It's going to be a lot of fun for a great cause, and it'll hopefully brighten up your Saturday night. Uh, so that is this Saturday, May 16th, 5 o'clock Pacific time, 8 o'clock Eastern time. Spend uh, half an hour with us. Go to houseseats.live to get your tickets. Okay, so that's plug number one. Uh, Plug number two, our beloved podcast network, Maximum Fun was doing an audience survey and we could really use your help. MaxFun's trying to figure out which advertisers are a good fit for our audience. And, you know, that way you'll hear ads that will actually be helpful to you and let you know about things that you'll actually want to spend money on. Now, I'm not only a MaxFun podcast host, I'm also a subscriber. So I took the survey and it's quick. It's definitely less than 10 minutes. You'll get a discount at the MaxFun store for filling it out. It'll really help. So go to MaximumFun.org slash ad survey to fill that out. All right, one last plug, and we will get to our hilarious pilot. Um, Back in episode 33 of this podcast, we... I did a pilot called American Alien by Sierra Teller Ornalis. In her interview, Sierra talked about the fact that she is a member of the Navajo Nation. Well, the Navajo Nation is being hit incredibly hard by COVID-19. If it were a state, it would have the third highest infection rate. Sierra's mother, who's a master Navajo weaver, contracted the virus. Thankfully, she has recovered. But Sierra wanted to help her nation and she's found two existing Navajo organizations that are working on the ground to fight COVID-19. One provides access to food and water and other essential items like PPE and diapers. And the second is raising funds for medical supplies to deliver to Navajo citizens, supporting impacted areas that aren't obtaining resources uh, proportionate to their need. I know there's countless uh, places that are that need your help and are hoping to get uh, your money right now but if you're in a position to help please go to ndncollective.org slash navajo nation relief fund with dashes in between navajo nation relief and fund we'll put a link in the show notes too um if you can Please help out a a member of our Dead Pilot Society family and the Navajo Nation. All right. Now for some fun. Our Dead Pilot this month is Revival by Sally Bradford McKenna. Sally started her writing career on Will & Grace. She's also worked on Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, The Grinder, Son of Zorn, and Ghosted, among many others. The pilot's about the revival of a beloved 80s sitcom, and it's centered around the little kid from the once popular show who has now grown up living a normal life, and who reluctantly gets sucked back into reuniting with his TV family. This was our last show that we recorded in front of a live audience before the lockdown happened. We taped it on February 29th at the Westside Comedy Theater. So I'm going to leave in my intro from on stage that day because it's become sort of a weird little time capsule from the days before all of this. So... Uh, Stick around after the read For my interview with Sally She's just one of the sharpest uh, And funniest writers out there Um, And despite the fact that she really Didn't want to do an interview, it's a good one So, here is Revival By Sally Bradford McKenna After a brief message
2: Welcome Thank
3: you
1: These are real podcast listeners Not actors What do you look for in a podcast Podcast Reliability is big for me. Power. I'd say
4: comfort. What do you think of this? Oh.
5: That's Jordan Jesse Go. Jordan Jesse Go? They came out of the floor? And down from the ceiling? That can't be safe. I'm upset. Can we go now?
3: Soon. Jordan Jesse Go,
1: a real podcast. This is Dead Pilot Society. And uh, it seems like a live show, but it's also a podcast where we take comedy pilots by A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and give them the table reads they never got a chance to have. Uh, has anyone here listened to the podcast? People aware of the podcast? We've got um, 45 amazing pilots that only exist on this podcast uh, up there for you to listen to. So please uh, check it out, listen, subscribe, follow us on social media. Um, it's a special, this is a special show, it's, it's, it's Leap Day, um, and uh, maybe the last time we gather in large numbers uh, for, for quite some time. So thank you all for being brave enough to, uh, to come out. Um, I'm going to get right to it and uh, start our first pilot is Revival by Sally Bradford McKenna. We're not making you do an interview here on stage, but I am gonna point to you. (laughs) Sally Bradford McKenna right there. Um, So I'm going to bring out our incredible cast. Let's start off uh, from Pitch Perfect and Perfect Harmony, Anna Camp. From Drunk History, Craig Kakowski. From The Nightly Show, Larry Wilmore. From Veep, Aidan Mayeri. From Mom, Mimi Kennedy. From Scrubs and Stand Against Evil, John C. McGinley. From Mixish, Andrew T. From Star Wars, The Last Jedi, and The Rise of Skywalker, Kelly Marie Tran. And from The Last Man on Earth, Will Forte. I should say we do these all as cold reads. This cast has, most of them have just met each other just a few moments ago. There's been no rehearsal, so just keep that in mind. I'm over-rehearsed, but these guys. This is Revival, the pilot, written by Sally Bradford McKenna. It's the cold open. We insert on a TV screen. We open on an Access Hollywood-type show filmed at the Grove. Two perky hosts speak to camera.
6: Next up, it seems like millions of Americans are coming down with a crippling, devastating illness.
1: It's called Revival fever. Mm -hmm.
7: That's right. With all these beloved sitcoms from the 80s and 90s making a comeback, everyone is getting sick with nostalgia for a simpler time.
1: In a quick pop, we see a clip of an 80s multicam sitcom a la Roseanne. A harried wife is in her bathrobe with her husband in a messy kitchen as two loud kids run past them.
6: I remember two people who thought having kids would give their lives meaning.
8: I don't know who you're talking about, but I hate those people.
1: (laughs) Canned laughter. (laughs) (laughs) Another quick pop, it's a clip of a 90s sitcom a la Friends or Will and Grace. A cute girl with a low-cut blouse in a coffee shop bends over to serve two guys lattes.
5: Who wants one of these?
1: The straight guy looks at her boobs. I want both of them. The gay guy looks disgusted. Uh, that's a big fat passicino from me. Laughter from the studio audience. But I will take one grande busboy. An enormous laugh, and we go back to the Access Hollywood show. Which popular
7: sitcom would you like to see a revival of, Caleb? Oh,
1: I don't know. Maybe
7: I want Happy House. <laughs>
1: The male host gives her a look. You always do that. An awkward, an awkward beat, and then we smash to the opening credits of beloved 80s family sitcom Happy House. Under the cheesy theme song, Life is One Big Merry-Go-Round, we see quick clips, such as the handsome dad, Michael, gives the sweet but foxy mom, Susan, a big Christmas present. She opens the box, and Corky, the scrappy daughter, pops out and shouts, That's bananas! Behind her... Behind her sits the plain, straight-laced son, Benji, who reacts, but not in a way that's funny or memorable. (laughs) The credit sequence ends in a freeze frame of the TV family in a cheesy pose. We then pull out and go to Quick Pops to see where each of the cast members is now. We're Interior and Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Cal Keating, in 60s, the TV dad, Michael, charming and handsome, finishes reciting a passage. He sits next to a pretty girl. They are naturally
6: incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Here's some rigorous honesty for you. I did not actually need to be here. I saw you next door at the Gelson's and I followed you over.
1: (laughs) She gives him a smile, totally charmed. We go to a home shopping channel stage. Veronica Lightstone, the TV mom Susan, wholesome and attractive, sells her line of cardigans. She holds up one at a time.
8: This one is the Susan, after my happy house character, of course. And this one is Roz's cousin, after my Fraser appearance. (laughs) Green, green because Roz's family was Irish. Okay, and this one is the principal Dodd, after the role I played on Hanging with Mr. Cooper.
1: (laughs) She realizes that it's black.
8: Uh, It's available in multiple
0: colors.
1: (laughs) And we go to a jail at night. Reagan Moon... In her 30s, the TV daughter, Corky, still cute but has seen better days, is being escorted in handcuffs.
5: Are you serious? Millions of girls break into their boyfriend's house and demand another chance. This is only happening because I'm a celebrity.
7: You are? I've never seen you before. Your boyfriend wasn't even sure of your last name. Because
5: he's a terrible listener.
1: <sighs> and we go to a Minnesota home. Elliot Gooderman, in his 40s, the TV son, Benji sunny disposition with a hint of rage lying just beneath the surface is having Taco Tuesday with Jenny, in her 30s, fun, not afraid to call BS, Walter, 14, a typical dipshit teen, and Alice, 12, high achieving and withdrawn. Walter looks at his phone, Alice at her iPad. Jenny puts the food out.
3: Uh, Honey, do we have tortillas for soft tacos or just hard shells? (laughs) Soft sucks. I need a nice crunch.
4: Sorry, Han. I only got the hard one since nobody likes soft.
3: Oh, but, uh, I like uh, soft.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sweetie. I didn't mean literally nobody. I meant just... (laughs) You.
3: <laughs> well, just call me nobody from now on. I'll have to uh, change my driver's license and passport. Kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to do all that. That's too far for the joke. Okay, who's ready to play your uh, favorite part of the day? No, I hate that game. Well, you don't have to like it. You just have to do it, buddy, okay? When I was a kid, I had to memorize lines every night and do curtain calls to an erasure song that I'm pretty sure was about the AIDS epidemic.
1: Okay. Alice, favorite part of the day? Alice just pushes food around her plate sullenly.
7: Ugh, I'm so fat. I want to just, like, carve my thighs off.
1: (laughs) Elliot, feeling nostalgic, pinches her cheek.
3: I miss when you were a little girl and I could call you my pudgy piggy
1: without worrying if I was messing
3: with your delicate psyche.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He hears his own words, and as he connects the dots, he lets go of her cheek. The phone rings. Elliot gets up to answer it, once again upbeat. I'll
3: get it, uh, but when I come back, I'll do favorite part, and it may just involve a man I met today with the name Shannon.
1: (laughs) Hello. On the other end, we hear a man speak in a serious tone. Hey, Elliot. It's been a long time. It's your father. Elliot freezes, stunned. Then we reveal Cal being playful.
6: No, nah, I'm kidding. I know you lost your
1: dad a few years ago. It's just the guy who played him on TV. And off Elliot's reaction, we go to the main titles Revival. <laughs> it's Act One, moments later, at Elliot's Minnesota house. Elliot and Cal talk on the phone as the family eats dinner.
6: So, uh, what do you say? It's a great chance to get the old gang back together. Well, you know, Cal, I'd love to, but. Uh... Come on, kid. It'll be the whole family. You, me, Veronica. Reagan, but not that baby we had it in season seven when radians were slipping. Ugh that baby were such assholes. Yeah. <laughs> now unfortunately I heard the one with the bigger head circumference got really into meth. <laughs> Come on, what do you say? Elliot thinks for a beat and then You know what? Okay, sure. Why not? Why not? Great. I'll make a res at Benny Hanna. I know you love those red chef hats that you put on your head. I'll see you soon, kid. <laughs> they hang up.
4: What was that? What did Cal want?
3: Uh, He, Veronica, Reagan, and Sam, the creator of Happy House, are doing some presentation next weekend at a benefit for homeless teens and wanted to see if I could join.
4: And you said
3: we'd go? Yeah, I figured it could be fun. And, and, you know, teens with nowhere to live. Ooh, can Alice and I stay here by ourselves? We're old enough now. Uh, So we can come home to two dead kids? Uh, No thanks, that sounds terrible.
1: (laughs) Oh, this blows. Walter starts to storm out. Elliot calls after, upbeat.
3: When I was a kid, I had to spend my Christmas break filming a PSA about angel dust, so
1: yeah, being a kid sucks
3: sometimes.
0: (laughs)
1: Walter exits and Alice follows.
4: Hun, I gotta say, I'm kind of surprised you said yes. Aren't these people just a reminder of what a messed up childhood you had?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure,
3: and they're definitely that, but, you know, those guys are also kind of my family.
4: Uh Uh-huh. But your family were the people who put their son on a TV show because they needed money for an above-ground jacuzzi. <laughs> These people were your crazy, selfish co-workers from when you were eight.
3: Yeah, but I, I grew up with them. Cal taught me how to ride a bike. And, and every time I lost a tooth, Veronica slipped a $2 bill under my dressing room door.
4: <laughs> your TV mom did that? Ugh, your real mother really was checked out. Oh, we... <laughs>
3: We were together for everything. Birthdays, holidays, when the Challenger blew up. I remember exactly where we were? The bathroom set. All of us in the tub, bubbles up to our chins.
4: But aren't you forgetting how they treated you? Like they always played pranks on you. They called you big Belly-It. The onset tutor they gave you was a 19-year-old grip. He just didn't give you 4th grade because he got mono.
3: So I miss fourth grade. I mean, what do you even learn in fourth grade? Okay, yes. They were awful to me and left severe, uh, several deep emotional scars. But I'm past all that. My life is pretty great now. I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm a dad. I've outgrown my milk allergy. Yep. I want to show them that. I guess this could be, I don't know, She has to do things differently.
4: Okay. Let's go to California. Let's get in our covered wagon and go see about some gold.
1: He stares at her blankly. She looks at him incredulously. What? Yes, I know the thing you're talking about. It's a week later, and we're exterior at a hotel courtyard. Elliot and his family arrive for the charity benefit. Feel that? 105 degrees
3: in September. It's scary, isn't it?
4: It's so cool that Craig T. Nelson is here. (laughs) Who is that? I don't know what came over me. I got so excited, I yelled at him. I yelled at Coach.
1: Cal, Veronica, and Reagan run up, excited to see Elliot. There's our guy!
0: Pumpkin! They all
1: hug and exchange greetings. Veronica gives Elliot tons of mom kisses. (laughs) Elliot addresses his real family.
3: Guys, this is my uh, family. My TV family, not my real family. You're my real family. You knew that.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Elliot, your sense of humor is still just okay, not great.
1: Al leans over to Walter and Alice, trying to impress them. Hey, kids.
6: Your, uh, your old man tell you I once joined the Mile High Club with Patty Duke?
1: <laughs> Sean Aston's mother? <laughs> Walter and Alice look confused and a little creeped out. Veronica, like a doting mother, pats Elliot's tummy.
8: Pumpkin. Look how slim you are.
1: She pinches his cheek.
8: You used to be such a pudgy piggy. <laughs>
4: Oh, my God. Elliot calls our daughter that. It's so cute.
1: (laughs) Elliot takes in this realization. Then Alice does, too. Reagan steps up to Elliot.
5: Hey, big bro. I am better than last time you saw me. I got a job as a hostess at Jerry's Deli in Encino. (laughs) The arrest was a little bit of a setback, but at least people are talking about me again. Ah, I missed you! (laughs) She gives gives
1: him a big hug and tussles his hair.
5: Are you losing your hair, bro? A
1: a little. Wait, are
3: you?
5: A little.
0: (laughs) We
1: spot Alice lurking in the background. Notice Reagan. Who is this odd woman? Cal leans over to Walter. Hey, kid. Your dad tell
6: you about the time he broke Stephen Dorff's nose at the kid's choice awards?
0: (laughs)
1: What? No, he
6: definitely did not.
1: As Walter and Cal laugh, Elliot is a little
3: annoyed. It was an accident. I slipped on some of that green slime they dump on children. Dorf's nose got in the way. and Sassy Magazine made way too big of a deal out of
0: it.
4: Whoa, I didn't know about that. That's why you always turn off the TV when his e commercial came on. You know, the one where he's smoking on a beach and he goes, we're all adults here. That's,
3: that's a reason I'd turn it off. <laughs>
1: Sam Carroll, late 50s, well put together on the outside, but deeply insecure on the inside. Passes by. Guys, they're ready for you inside.
3: Sam, hi. It's me, Elliot. I'm a, uh, I'm a man now. Uh, Guys, uh, this is Sam Carroll, creator of Happy House. This is the guy who spotted me in an audition in front of an Orange Julius at the Sherman Oaks Galleria and said, him, we need to be out of here by five. Uh, yeah. He also created two different shows called Partners. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Elliot turns back to him excitedly to see that he is gone. An awkward beat, and then Elliot upbeat. I'll catch up with him later. <laughs> and it's a little later at the hotel conference room. The benefit has started. Sam stands at the podium.
2: And now you know them as the Johansons. Please welcome the cast of Happy House.
1: A curtain parts and a couch, the iconic floral sofa from the show, is wheeled out slowly. On it sits the TV family. Elliot is awkward being back in the spotlight. The crowd applauds, happy to see the old gang. When the sofa stops, Cal hops off. Teen homelessness. (laughs) Who among us hadn't
6: seen hard times? Even me. Even me. Before I got the role of a lifetime as America's dad. Just one call from my agent changed everything. And that can happen for you, too. Mm -hmm.
8: (laughs) That's right, Cal. We all fall down from time to time. It's how we pick ourselves back
5: up that matters. Totally, totally. Just recently, I was actually arrested after I was blindsided by a guy I thought I could trust, which is crazy because he gave me a key. (laughs) But (laughs) in this current climate of everything that's going on with women and just how unfair it is, I decided I had to say, time's up, hashtag me too, and of course, that's bananas.
1: (laughs) The audience laughs, fondly remembering her catchphrase. (laughs) Elliot shares a look with Jenny in the audience. What the hell is she talking about? But anyway, we're thrilled to be here. It's good to be back with
6: our old family. Isn't it, you guys?
8: Yes, it's great to see we all still have such chemistry.
6: (laughs) We always did. We had appeal across many demographics. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this feels good. Doesn't Mm. it feel good, Elliot? Mm. Oh, uh...
3: Yeah, it feels good, yeah Mm.
6: How about Benji, everyone? Hey, he's a Minnesota teacher now It snows where he
1: lives Yeah The audience applauds a little (laughs) Elliot's a little flattered by the attention But mostly uncomfortable
5: Uh, I'm sad What...
8: What's wrong, Reagan?
5: It's just such a bummer our show has to end. We had so many stories to tell.
1: Elliot shares another look with his wife. What is this?
8: Well, we're back together now. It's crazy how this life works, huh? I guess you could call it a bit of a... Merry-go-round.
5: Five,
1: six, Cal stands up and starts to sing five, the old six, theme song. Seven, eight. Life, Life is one big
5: merry-go-round. <laughs> sometimes, you're sometimes you're up and
8: sometimes you're down.
6: It spins in circles like a big top. top. You, you wish, it wish it will go, go and, and pray it will stop. <laughs> Just be yourself. That's the key.
0: Just you be be you, and I'll I'll be me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Elliot is uncomfortable, but in the audience, Walter seems to be warming up to this. He has a huge grin. Oh, this is terrible. (laughs) It's a little later, and when they're, we're in the hotel courtyard. The two families are chatting when Sam rushes over. Well, he
2: bought it. Uh-huh. Yes! I knew he would! Wait, uh, huh? Who, who bought what? Johnny Jarvis, president of the network was here. He loved what he saw and he wants to do a one-time revival episode of Happy Hands.
3: <gasps> Wait, what? Yep. Was, this, was this an audition? <laughs>
8: I mean, and we were raising money for homeless teens, Elliot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's not all about showbiz.
1: Elliot is thrown by this, but he tries to remain upbeat. Oh, okay, right. You you tricked me. I, I see. It's funny. You guys always
3: used to do manipulative stuff like this to me, and I guess I figured maybe you would change because usually when people grow up, they change. But I guess it's also cool just to stay exactly the same for 30 years.
5: That is funny. So what do you say?
3: So you guys want me to do an episode of the show after you tricked me into flying my whole family out here? Uh, no, I don't think so.
6: It's okay We just wanted you to feel included But we'll go ahead and do it without you
2: Yeah, I can write Benji out Explain his absence by saying uh, He's traveling for work Or maybe he's like a salesman in the Midwest Or something like that Okay, wait
3: Benji is a salesman? That makes no sense Benji was a creative I mean, he'd be like an artist or a novelist or something He was creative.
5: Weird. I don't remember
8: that.
3: You don't? That was like Benji's whole thing. We did so many storylines about his projects. I mean, episode 419, Life Imitates Macaroni
1: Art. They all stare and squint at him. No memory of this.
8: (sighs) Elliot, come on. Won't you do this one little favor for your mommy
4: who used to trim your little fingernails? (laughs) Jesus, your real mom didn't even
5: work.
6: (laughs) Come on, kid. It could be fun to play in our little
1: sandbox again. It does sound fun. So, of course, we won't be doing it. This lands with Elliot. His wife, Jenny, speaks Sato to him.
4: Hun, this could be your chance, you know, to do it differently.
1: Elliot thinks a beat as he looks at both of his families. Okay, I'll do it. One episode. Both families are surprised and impressed.
3: But under one condition, Benji is not a salesman. People would be so confused. It would be like, where did this come from? We wanted, we wanted so
1: much more for Benji. There's a beat. The TV family has clearly given this zero thought.
5: Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Everyone yeah. remembers their character. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that's the end of Act One. It's act two, we're on the sound stage It's a few weeks later, everyone is getting ready for the table read Elliot, Jenny, and the kids stand at the craft service table
4: I'm glad you decided to do this, hon it Must be weird to be back here
1: Yeah, It is, but it, it's sort of cool You know, it feels
3: the same, but, but different You know, I've never been the, the kid on a TV show As a
1: grown man before you know? <laughs> Veronica steps up to Jenny
8: I am so glad to finally get to meet you. <laughs> I always wondered what kind of woman Elliot would end up with. Tell me, does he still do that thing when he steals a french fry off someone else's plate and he says,
4: yoink! <laughs> <laughs> yes, like all cutesy and almost apologetic. Uh, it's like, be a man and take the fry.
8: <laughs> I didn't know he did that as a kid. Oh, he did. And does he still cry really hard every Sunday night?
1: (laughs) Jenny's smile fades. Elliot notices them chatting and forces a smile. Reagan enters and steps up to Crafty. She takes a hard-boiled egg, scoops the yolk out, and throws it in the trash.
5: Great news, you guys. I'm making a deal with Smudge Cosmetics. They saw my mugshot, and they loved how my mascara didn't smear, even though I clearly had been crying and sweating and running so much. And look, they even, like, touched it up a little.
1: She holds up her mugshot. Instead of the dismal gray backdrop, there's a Photoshopped party scene behind her. What
3: party is this? Why is Alfred Molina there?
0: (laughs) (laughs)
1: Nearby we see Elliot's daughter Alice lurking She takes an egg, scoops the yolk out And throws it in the trash Cal steps up to Walter Hey kid
6: You're up your dad ever tell you about the time he went nuts and set his trailer on fire?
1: What? No. Cal and Walter share a laugh as Elliot is annoyed. Uh, well, the full
3: version of that story is I was on a medication for my skin that had some violent side effects. Okay? The medication was for eczema, not acne, although it actually had another side effect, which was horrible acne.
1: More laughter from Cal and Walter. Okay, we're ready to go. Sam calls for everyone's attention to get the table read started. Let's go, come on, let's go. Everyone let's go. takes their seats, the actors at
2: the table. Welcome to the table read for the revival episode of Happy House. Come on, let's hear it. Yeah. All right, little preview. Uh, this episode is about the kids, Corky and Benji, moving back in with the family. Everyone seems to like this, including Elliot. Jenny mouths to him Benji, that's you. I feel it's a great opportunity to, to explore the theme of nostalgia. You know, the idea of, can you ever go home again? And the question of, are your best days ahead of us or behind us? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And let me tell you something, we are thrilled to have David Spade as the waiter who drops the fajitas, everybody.
1: David Spade, seated at the table, gives the crowd a humble little wave.
2: Everyone opens their scripts to page one. All right, let's do this. Episode 901, second time around, written by yours <laughs> Truly, thank you very much. Interior, Johansson House, Michael, Susan, Cork, and Benji sit around the dinner table. They all look a little older. <laughs> Laughter from the audience.
0: The
1: actors start performing. Okay, time for our nightly dinner tradition we always used to do. Favorite part of the day. Walter nudges his sister. Lame, this is what that's from?
8: Favorite part of my day was opening a new bottle of wine. Least favorite part? Later, when I threw the empty bottle out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Elliot looks around. I guess that was funny.
5: Favorite part of my day was finding out a music company is going to sign my band. When I heard the news, I said... That's bananas.
1: (laughs) Huge laughter and applause. Someone even gives a little woo. Uh,
5: But the music company is here in this town, so I'll need to figure out where to live.
6: I know a great place where you could live. It feels just like home. It's called a
1: hotel. (laughs) More laughter. Elliot looks around awkwardly. Is he going to speak?
8: Or what about here? Please, I want my baby to live with me forever.
1: (laughs) Laughter. As they continue, Elliot subtly flips a page to scan if he has a line. He flips another page and another. We time dissolve to later in the read.
2: Corky and Benji enter the room. Hey, kids.
5: Hi, sweeties. Hey, Mom and Dad.
2: Benji nods and waves. (laughs) Elliot reacts, what the
6: hell? We've given it a lot of thought, and your mother and I think... You should both move back
1: in here.
8: But I can't promise I'm not going to sit at the foot of your beds and
5: watch you two sleep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> laughter from the audience.
5: And I can't promise my bed is not going to have my drummer Gordo in it with me.
1: <laughs> this gets a huge laugh. A beat as the laughter starts to die down, then... Well, you can watch me sleep, Mom. <laughs> The laughter stops abruptly after Elliot's one bummer of a line. Sam puts a big X through that line. Elliot fumes, then David Spade pipes up.
6: Uh Uh-oh, writers, call your wives and take a look at a dinner menu.
1: (laughs) And we go to the Cheesecake Factory that evening. Elliot vents to his family over a fancy L.A. dinner. Eight lines.
3: Eight lines in the whole show. I mean, it's so not a big deal. At all. It was just kind of weird, right? Totally weird. You had nothing to play. It's like, what's this guy's point of view? And this is exactly how it used to be. You know, I I never had any storylines or jokes. I was just like a prop.
4: Well, I didn't think it was that weird. And, hon, I thought you were past all that.
3: No, I totally am. Uh, Completely. It's just, you know... Isn't it a little odd that everyone else had a fully-formed character and nothing was said about how Benji is now uh, other than that he has a business job? (laughs) Yeah, but it worked anyway. Cal's so funny, and he has so many lines. Yeah, no kidding. I got up and toasted myself a bagel during the father-son bed scene
7: um what's that
3: oh Alice I forgot you were here (laughs) um it's the scene near the end of the episode with Michael and Benji in Benji's room we always used to do scenes like that the dad would have some long speech then I would say just a few words that were totally unrelated but in context were super profound uh like this one episode where I was playing Frogger and I said I need to make a leap and that somehow made Michael decide to quit his law firm and start a restaurant. Yeah, that seems thin. Thank you! It was always so convenient and fake, and now now that I'm like 40, maybe I should say more than a few words?
4: Well, why don't you talk to Sam? Maybe he can give you more lines.
3: No, I can't do that. That's not how it works. It, it's not my
1: place.
4: But you're not the same little kid anymore. I thought you wanted to do things differently this time.
1: He considers this for a beat.
4: Anyway, I'm loving Veronica. She has so many stories about you. Some things totally track, and some are like, what? You were in a
3: cult with Ben Savage? (laughs) Okay, I didn't know it was a cult. I thought it was a karate class, and she never had any boundaries. (laughs)
1: Jenny and the kids are thrown by Elliot's frustration, but then a waitress steps up with giant slices of cheesecake.
7: I got some cheesecake on the house, and I read about your show coming back.
1: Whoa, Dad, you got recognized. That is so cool. We see it means a lot to Elliot that his son is proud of him.
7: And I know that some people think it's pathetic to bring back, like, an old show. Like, nothing new is working, so just go back to the same old garbage. (laughs) But I don't. No, no, I don't think
1: that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Elliot takes a full Oreo off the top of Alice's cheesecake. (laughs) Yoink! (laughs) He puts the entire thing in his mouth. It's the next day and we're on the soundstage. The cast mills about on the set of the Johansson House before rehearsal. Elliot enters and crosses the stage. He passes by Veronica and Jenny, who wears a cardigan from Veronica's line. They chat like girlfriends.
8: It was so cute. We would sometimes do like a human pyramid. And even though Elliot was on this, he he was a big chub muffin. (laughs) He he insisted on being on top. He always had to be
4: on top. I guess some things never change.
0: (laughs) The ladies
1: laugh as Elliot passing by cringes, annoyed. He notices Sam enter and crosses to him. Hey uh, Sam, can I discuss
3: the father-son bed scene with you for a sec? Yeah, pal, what's up? It's just, right now, all Benji has is that one line about needing to change where he's talking about his underwear. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: So, I just, no, I never have conversations with my son where Mm -hmm. only I speak and then he says, like, one super profound thing. Mm -hmm. So, you're looking for something... Feels a little more real. Or? Yeah, I mean, I hope you don't mind, but mm-hmm. I actually took a crack at the scene to give Benji more of a,
1: a POV. Oh, <laughs> he hands Sam some pages. Okay. He takes a look for a beat.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, this is good. <laughs> Population, you—that's funny. <laughs> That's uh, actually not supposed to be funny. Ah, so. gotcha. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, this is great, man. I'll, I'll put it right in. Thanks.
1: Sam walks off and then, unseen by Elliot, tosses the pages in the trash. (laughs) Elliot feels good that he's finally being heard. We're in a hallway outside the dressing rooms moments later. Elliot heads to the dressing room, still happy. He passes Reagan's and notices something inside. He pokes his head in and finds Reagan instructing a set painter. He sees she's having painted on the wall a mural of her mugshot.
5: I want the eyes mostly innocent with just a hint of utter terror.
1: (laughs) She notices Elliot and seems caught off guard Oh, hey, El Hey, uh, what's
0: this?
5: Oh, uh, um, I thought i would be a little more it, it would be comfortable if I just decorated a little
1: He stares at her He seems to be figuring something out Oh, you just wanted to be more comfortable For the week
5: Yeah, for this week
1: <laughs> She realizes he's figured something out They have a standoff as she scrambles
5: This one week Uh, that we're here for this this one episode that we are doing because we're just doing one episode
1: god damn it (laughs) the soundstage moments later elliot storms in reagan following close behind a full season this was all about doing a full season? Cal, Veronica, and Sam realize the secret is blown. Hey, pal,
6: this was meant to be a surprise, like one of those set pranks we always used to do. Do you, do you, do you remember when we put a sign on that one guy's back It said, Don't talk to me. I'm a huge TV star. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, you guys are unbelievable.
3: What, what exactly was the plan here? You thought I would, just wouldn't notice that I moved my family out here to, to do 22 episodes of this? Oh, uh, no, man. That took, like, maybe
2: 13.
8: Yeah, we figured. <laughs> we figured. If we could just get you to do one, you would have such a great time reliving the good old days that you'd want to do more. Well,
3: I didn't relive the good old days. I, I relived how, how narcissistic and crazy and mim- manipulative you all are.
1: Reagan puts her hand to her mouth, about to giggle.
6: Oh, my God, don't do
0: that.
1: (laughs) Okay, you know what? I'm sorry you all have to go back to the same old garbage
3: because nothing new is working, but my life was working. I'm a dad and a teacher, and I've outgrown my milk allergy. Okay, so now I'm going to go back to that life where my kids have normal childhoods, and they don't have giant chunks of their adolescence
6: they're ashamed of. I don't think you should be ashamed of that one year you got super Christian, Elliot.
0: (laughs) Stop
3: telling my family things I don't want them to know. Okay, you guys will just have to write Benji out, make him a salesman in the Midwest, even if it's not at all set up, because I am out. And don't try any more family guilt. It won't
1: work, because you're not my family. Everyone is thrown by this outburst as Elliot storms out.
5: For the record, I didn't blow the secret. Some dumb PA did.
9: That one.
1: She points at Elliot's daughter Alice, who looks totally confused and nervous. That's the end of Act Two. It's Act Three. We're interior and Airbnb living room the next day. Elliot is packing up his stuff into a suitcase. A knock at the door. Elliot opens it to find Cal, Veronica, and Reagan. Hey. You got a second buddy? Elliot lets them in.
6: You want to do this scene in the the bedroom, or? No, I think we can do this
3: scene out here, thanks. Look, your tricks aren't gonna work this time. I'm leaving, so you're just gonna have to do the revival without me.
6: Well, Elliot, we're not gonna try to stop you. You have every right to be upset, but we just wanted to tell you something. The truth is, we can't do it without you.
5: Yeah. The network was only interested in doing a revival if all four of us are on board.
8: Yeah, you can't bring back a family show with only part of the family, so we, we actually couldn't do it without Benji.
1: Elliot takes this in.
5: I know, crazy, right? We couldn't believe it either. <laughs> well, why
6: didn't you guys just tell me that? I guess maybe we didn't want to admit how badly we all needed this. <sighs> yeah,
8: I know we've all been making our lives seem like they're great. But the truth is, we could all use a win. Mm-hmm.
5: We still have to tape that one episode since it's too late to cancel the taping, but Sam, we'll do a quick rewrite to write you out of it, and we'll tape it tonight, even if it never airs.
3: Well, sorry, but maybe you should have thought of that before you lied to me a thousand times. Okay, you know, I, I come back here hoping you guys will see me differently, but everything is exactly how it used to be. You know, I've always felt unappreciated
6: by you guys. I always felt small. Small? But Elliot, we all look up to you. What? You were the one who moved on to a bigger and better life. You did something important. You had a family. I didn't. The only son I ever had was from casting.
5: And I rarely see the son I had.
6: (laughs) Wait, you?
5: Elliot.
8: (laughs) Elliot, Elliot. Even as a kid, you were the most normal and the most sane. The grounded one. The lowest testing character. But the highest testing person.
5: Yes. So it's not just that we needed Benji to do the show. We needed Elliot. You were the glue that held us together. Seems like that's how you are with your family, too. Your wife and your son and that PA. (laughs)
6: And then, honestly, if we aren't all going to do this together, then, then it isn't worth it. Even if we could replace you, we, we wouldn't want to. That's
8: right. Not a chance.
1: Reagan waits a long beat and then unconvincing.
5: Yes. <laughs>
6: because even if you don't think of us as your family, we think of you
1: as ours. Elliot is touched to hear all of this, but he steals himself.
3: I get it guys but I'm sorry I can't do it anymore
1: the others take this in Cal pats Elliot on the knee and they head out off Elliot's conflicted look we go to the sound stage that evening it's tape night a montage under erasure's oh, L'Amour. <laughs> the warm up guy throws candy at the crowd to get them going Cal, Veronica and Reagan come out for their curtain calls and the crowd loves it They start to film moments from the show, including David Spade dropping a platter of flaming fajitas. (laughs) The cast is smiling, but something is off, something missing. We spot an empty director's chair with Big Belliot on it. In Walter's bedroom in the Airbnb at the same time, Walter's packing up his stuff, bummed. Elliot steps up to the door, clearly feeling uneasy. He knocks and steps in. You got a second, buddy? Here. Guess I won't be needing this. Walter hands Elliot a tube of sunscreen. Elliot takes it. That's okay. I always need
3: sunscreen. Where wear it even in Minnesota. I freckle super easily. Look, I'm sorry we gotta leave. I-, I know you were enjoying it out here. Yeah, I was. I felt like our family was doing something fun for once. Look, I know you think I never let you do anything you want to, but the thing is, I had a pretty messed up childhood. W- were you kidnapped? What? No, the, the show. I, I didn't have a normal childhood, and I didn't have a normal dad. You know, I had one who put me on TV so he could buy a hot tub. You know, and then I had one who became, became my dad because he had similar hair, and his character on Spencer for Hire had just been killed off. Walter sort of smiles and takes this in. So when I became a father, I promised myself, I would give you the best, most normal childhood ever. Small town, Taco Tuesdays. I always wanted you to feel so safe, so appreciated, because I never felt that way. I was always treated like, like I didn't matter. And you know, they still treat me like that.
1: As he starts to segue into his own stuff, he starts to get lost on this tangent, still feeling conflicted. But I can't do it anymore, you know? I, I, I gotta say, enough. You know what? I, I don't care if they need this show. Just then Walter, who's been distracted with his packing, hands Elliot something else. Maybe you need this too, Dad. Elliot stops to take this in. (laughs) What? I need it? As he processes this, he takes a (laughs) seat on Walter's bed. So I can break the
3: cycle. They finally need me more than they ever have. I can do it over totally different this time.
1: My way. Uh, Yeah, I was handing you this. It's a pool floaty thing of a flamingo. Like how I... (laughs) Like how I gave you the sunscreen? They're both California things. Oh, but, but the way you said,
3: maybe you need this too. Why didn't you put the emphasis on you? That didn't even sound natural.
1: He looks around the room, taking it all in and realizes father and son are on the bed, having had a scene, a beat. Then Elliot rushes out, now sure of what he has to do. And we go to the soundstage. It's Corky's bedroom, it's a little later. The father-son bed scene is being taped, now written for Michael and Corky. Corky is styling her hair in a mirror.
6: I've been struggling with this decision to let you move back in with us, Corky. Can you ever really go home again? At least I only have to decide about letting one kid move back, as Benji is off in an Arizona rehab for bulimia.
1: (laughs) Still, I'm, I'm not sure what to do. Corky looks at her hairstyle in the mirror.
5: Gotta do this differently.
1: A beat as Michael takes in her words. As he's about to speak, suddenly Benji barges in. Do Do it differently? differently? A few beats of that TV trope of people behind the cameras looking around. What is he doing? (laughs) Sam signals to a camera operator to keep rolling. Cal, Veronica, and Reagan are touched, relieved, and thrilled to see Elliot. The audience recognizes Benji and gives him some applause. I'm back from bulimia rehab.
0: (laughs)
3: And I also want to move back in with the family. But first, I have a few things to say, too.
1: He takes a deep breath before he gives his speech.
3: I've been struggling with this decision to move back home, and I, too, have realized one can go home again, but only if we do it differently. So if we're going to do this, here's how it's going to go.
1: He starts to give a thinly-veiled speech where he tells his family how things are going to change. He turns to his TV dad. No more lying or manipulation,
3: and you need to give me the respect I deserve now that I'm a grown man. Then to Corky, his TV sister. You need to get your shit together. You're 35. It isn't cute anymore. And Nicorette and edamame is not a meal. Susan has now wandered into the scene, and Elliot addresses his TV mom. And you need to learn some boundaries and stop telling my wife about my past weight struggles. <laughs> I'm also going to tell my own family how things will change with them as well, where they, you know, when they come into town next week from where we live in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> and where I work as a sci-fi and fantasy novelist. <laughs> In my office that has exposed bricks and a little fridge where I keep snacks that help me write.
1: You are always such a creative. <laughs> Elliot addresses his real family, Jenis, Al, Jenny, Alice, and Walter behind the camera. I'll tell my wife to please pick up
3: soft tortillas in addition to hard taco shells. I know it sounds minor, but it's emblematic. I'll tell my daughter that I am mishearing what's going on in her life. And I'll tell my son that he doesn't have to respect me, but actually, screw that. Yeah, he does. I'm his father.
1: <laughs> Elliot finishes his speech, and everyone is impressed. Walter especially is super proud of his dad, applauding for him, and Elliot registers this. Sam, behind the camera, is also smiling and applauding. He leans over to someone.
2: We're not using any
1: of that. <laughs> and that's the end of Act 3. <laughs> we are in the tag. We're on the sound stage. It's a few days later. Everyone is arriving for the table read of the second episode of Happy House. Walter is chatting with Cal. Have you ever just gone on stage and said whatever you wanted the way my dad did?
6: Oh, sure, sure. There was this one time I was filming a pretty decent-sized part on Night Court, and I wanted to tell John Larroquette... Elliot has stepped up. (laughs) Cal can see how much
1: this means to him and thinks better of it.
6: What a dick he is. But I didn't. Guess I wasn't brave enough.
1: Elliot looks at Cal appreciatively. (laughs) Well, you know, I wasn't always so brave. I learned it. I had a good role model. He smiles at Cal and they share a moment. Cal turns to Walter. Hey kid, you uh, you ever think about acting? You'd be great at it. Uh, no, no, he wouldn't. <laughs> and we angle on Alice at the craft service table. She picks up a bagel and starts picking at it. Reagan sidles up and addresses her for what seems like the first time.
5: So what's the deal?
7: How you stay so skinny? Um, uh, I don't know. I'm a kid. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: Cool.
1: (laughs) As Reagan walks away, we see Alice stare after her with an intense look. Is she in love with her? Is she going to stalk her? We can't tell yet. Sam
2: steps over to Elliot. Hey, pal. um, I thought about what you said about wanting more of a character. And, uh, you know, since you already set this up in your speech, giving you a family. Wow, really? Mm -hmm. He points nearby to a black woman, boy and girl. Yep. (laughs) I leaned into your diversity pitch and... You know, turned it up a notch. Uh, ah, you know, I'm
3: not sure how having an Asian family was a pitch or how black is a notch more
1: diverse than Asian, but <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Sam heads off. Jenny steps up to Elliot.
4: I'm proud of you, hon. You must feel better getting all that off your chest.
1: I do. You know, I've obviously been holding on to this
3: stuff all these years. Mm-hmm. It feels good to finally do, do things differently. Get it all out there. You
1: know, no more secrets. Veronica overhears this and leans in.
8: Oh, thank God. You told her how I was your first love and you lost your virginity to me?
0: (laughs) Wait. What?
1: (laughs) And that's the end of the show.
2: Strange planets Curious technology And a fantastic vision of the distant future Featuring Martin Starr So we're
6: going on day 14 Shuttle still hasn't come Aparna Nancherla
0: The security system provides you with emotional security You do the rest
2: Echo Kellum Can you disconnect me or not? Hurry, Kondabolu I'm staying From Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Jeffrey McGiver. Could you play Cindy Lauper's girls Just want to have fun? Mm -hmm. It's the outer reach stories from beyond. Now available for free at maximumfun.org or anywhere you listen.
1: So I should say I'm here with Sally Bradford McKenna. It's uh, happening. <laughs> what's happening. Um,
9: the drum roll. just jump right in.
1: It really was fun to listen to. I mean, I, I'm trying to think what the biggest laugh for me was, and it may have been. That awkward line from Elliot that you can watch me sleep, mom. And <laughs> it's just like the perfect awkward. <laughs> <laughs> a terrible awkward line at that table read
9: oh that oh, at the table read huh?
1: at the table read yes his one line that he gets that get it you know i mean i love that line it was like that baby we're such assholes and maybe if you haven't you know i think most people you know they know the Olsen twins so they know that when you have a baby on a show it's twins or triplets so that's why you can have that incredible Grammatically uh, amazing sentence, um, and maybe stuff like David Spade saying, "All right, writers, you know, call your wives and look at a dinner menu." Maybe that's your you wives. know goes over some people's heads, but uh, <laughs> for for us writers, it's delightful. Okay. Um, so yeah, well, while we're I am so curious. So we
9: Play well, so I.
1: <laughs> um. All right, hold on. You are frozen
0: again. You there?
9: Uh, oh, I'm here. I can yeah. hear you fine.
0: Okay.
1: I hope it's not on my side. Um. All right. We'll we'll edit this part out and hope. But you are definitely you're frozen. Hmm. Let's see if there's anything I can do. Hold on one second. Um, Shoot. Well, you're back now. There's nowhere in my house I can go where someone other, some other family member is not on a Zoom right now. So. I'm here. You're there? All right. Note to Noah when you're listening to this, edit that whole big chunk out. Um, I'm here. So, all right tell me about pitching this show because it certainly is hard to sell shows about show business. So, so tell me who you sold it to and how you pitched it.
9: So I think I was still on my overall deal at Fox. Um, I think I, I loved this idea, even at every version of this idea, I had many before I sold it and I've had many since this has been that idea that I can't, Let go of, still can't let go of. I'm still trying different versions of this all the time. Um, And I think with this one for my Fox deal, I wanted to load it up. I had Anashka Khan, who I uh, worked with, worked for on uh, Don't Trust the Be in Apartment 23, who's great. I'm collaborating with her on something else now. She's fantastic. I had Michael Showalter attached to direct. Um, I brought in my husband, Chris McKenna. I was just like, this is the one, I'm going to just load it up with anyone successful and talented that I can put on this. I'm getting this one made. That was the plan. Um, And so I went in, I think it was kind of that thing of like, they're looking for family shows. Um, And even if they weren't, I think it's just kind of, that's just typically the kind of, I'm just like, how do I sell something that is going to be kind of something that that's, a little bit what they want, but a different version of it. Like I have no interest in doing a show about my family, my husband's family, any kind of typical family, any kind of typical dysfunctional family, but a TV family I wanted to do. I've always been into child stars. I've always been into, you know, anything that has to do with inside TV. I, I, I do like it. Um, and so I just felt like this is a way to do um, going back home. This is a way to do kind of that typical show of going back, any kind of Thanksgiving dinner where you go back home and you think things are going to be different. And lo and behold, everything's the same, but just it's your TV mom who is the same. It's your TV dad is the same. Um, And I tried a bunch of different versions. I remember early on when I was talking to Notch, to Menachika about this, the idea was just how do we make this as fucked up as possible? the idea was that the TV dad at one point would be just. How do you make America's dad like just short of Cosby? Like maybe not not in that arena, but just what do we learn about him as we go? That like he's actually hiding some some dark secret. He's actually running from the law. Um, and I think the original. I think just a funny thing that that kind of inspired this was I think it was it was one. I think that was already coming. Maybe it wasn't even coming back yet. But Roseanne was I think the first big one was coming back. And I remember it was the upfront presentation where they um, wheeled out the you know, iconic plaid couch to announce that Roseanne was coming back. And Roseanne was sitting on the couch, and John Goodman, and you're like, oh, there's Darlene and there's Aunt Jackie. And then I just remember zeroing in on the center of the couch. There was just like this man in a suit and it was DJ. It was the kid. And I just, it took me to a place of like, what? what would that be if there was a kid? I don't know anything about the actor or what he did after the show, but just a kid who grows up on TV, who spends eight years on a sitcom, who at the end of it is like, fuck this. We can swear, right? Yeah. Fuck this. I'm, I'm leaving. I don't want to be in Hollywood anymore. I don't want to be a prop anymore. I don't want to be a TV actor. Who just, someone who moves away, moves to the Midwest, becomes a teacher, and then 30 years later gets that call and it's a Roseanne saying the show's back and someone just being roped back in. And so the original idea for this was that it was going to be a guy who just, the last thing he wants to do is return to his old crazy family tv old crazy tv family um and i think along uh during the process i think the idea of someone who just doesn't want to be there was is a tricky kind of network so and it in terms of drive you want characters who want to be somewhere they want something so i tried to kind of uh, you know walk the line a little bit of someone who he doesn't really want to do it but if he's going to do it, if he's going to get wrote back in, This is he sees it as a second chance. He sees it as a way to go back and kind of correct his childhood and correct his past. So kind of coming back to like a guy who wants nothing to do with this, but if he's going to do it, like they should do his character justice. If I'm going to bring Benji back, like we got to be true to who Benji was in, in 1985. Um, so that's kind of how we got around that. But yeah, in looking back at some of these pitch documents, I saw just how much it changed. And I think even for the reading, I went back and looked at different drafts to see. I think I reworked it a little bit, but I was looking for which draft to use. And I saw like how each draft was getting further and further away from what I kind of originally thought was funny about it, which was a guy who does not want to go back. Um, but, but does it anyway.
1: Um, and they were pushing you away from that towards what?
9: Yeah, I think the idea, as I looked through Eat from draft to draft, it was it was the sad sack is what they didn't want. And that's what I was so happy. I feel like I wrote it in the version that we read. I think I did put some of that back in because that's what they didn't want. And I felt like Forte did such a good job of like, you know, it's, you're rooting for him instantly. And I think you, I, I like that it's a sad sack. I like that the guy that was shit on when he was a kid is shit on now as a dad. And as a teacher and finally comes back to be like, I'm going to show them that I'm have you know, i a man now and I've, I've turned my life around and then still just gets shit on by these losers, by these people who need this revival more than anything. Um, so I think I did end up putting a lot of that back. But I think the note was always pushing, pull, trying to push me away from that, like have him be good at his job, and you will have a beer with him, and he's cool. Right.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, if there's any theme to this Dead Pilot Society podcast that is consistent, it is writers writing characters that they love who network executives think are losers. Yes. That is, yeah. uh, and, and the fact is, this is a perfect example because you then have Will Forte read this part, and there's no way that you're coming across thinking like, oh, this guy's a loser in a bad in a bad way you enjoy I- him getting shit on and it's just it's funny and he's fun and he's you know he's not someone that you recoil from at all and, and it shows why that simplistic thing is just sort of absurd
9: yeah, I was so glad he I felt like he elevated it so much. I was not worried about him. I think he's so funny. And he's so great. I, I almost felt like he was too good to do. I was a little bit worried that this was beneath him. Because I think he's he can be big funny. And I hadn't. I guess I haven't seen him play so much like understated, dry, subtle funny. And he was just so good with that. I feel like you, you do end up you end up rooting for him. And you're with him. And you're with this. He beca- he's this voice of reason you know, with this chaos swirling around him and you're, you're, you know, you're hoping for, for him to succeed.
1: Yeah. No, he brought the emotional stakes to it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everyone, it was just, you know, John McGinley was perfect in that role and Mimi Kennedy and, you know, um. so, so they were giving you notes on that, but were they okay with it, with the sort of inside, it's all kind of, the elements
9: yeah what I just found today from the pitch after I think they after they bought it I had just a few quick notes jotted down where they said I think I even went back and said are we so we're okay with the TV thing because one thing I have learned and I think I did learn it especially with with this particular project is whatever that note is from the beginning like we're a little nervous about this thing but otherwise we love it we're buying it let's do it months later all the money later all the work later all the people involved later whether you shoot it or not, that that same note is the note that kills it and i think i did even in the moment go see you guys are okay with that and what i jotted down that i noticed today was just don't have them you know inside like marketing meetings don't make it so inside so i tried to really make it a family show as opposed to like a tv show um and tried to make it about that this is a guy who's juggling his old crazy tv family and his current family who he's trying to impress and he's trying to bond with his kid and then give some promise that at the end there's gonna be a, another family to deal with and just try to focus on this as a family family show. You know, try to do like a multi-generational family show, but in a in a different way. Um, so yeah, I guess they were ultimately okay with it, not in a sense that they shot it or wanted to make it or see it again, but yeah, ultimately they let me, they let me write it.
1: Did you? Learn any lessons from being on the grinder, which was another show that had a show business angle.
9: Lessons. Yes. And also, I mean, cause I loved that show. I really loved I love the, the process was, you know, as they, they're all interesting in their own way, but I did love that show. And that's one of the, one of my shows that, um, one of my credits I'm really proud of. And I think this was coming off of that or soon after I did that show, um, that yeah, I think I did refer to a, a lot because I was pitching it to Fox and developing, it, developing Rival with Fox, where I think we did run into that a lot on The Grinder. Um, the biggest kind of issue on that show was, and to their credit, the, um, Paul and Mogul, the guys who created it, they did want to lean into the TV of it. And I think a lot of us in the room love that. And, and the real push and pull on that show was, it needs to be a family show. And I think they did a great job of kind of making it both. And you do have this, you do have Fred Savage, who's kind of, you know, trying to manage his family, but at the same time, he's got his crazy TV star brother who's pulling him into chaos this way. Um, And I think that was the real challenge on that show. And I think it turned out great for all the, you know, kind of behind the scenes struggles of that. But I think this was a reaction that I wanted to do more of that. I wanted to kind of... um, you know, uh, kind of explore that world more. And I think I also, Fred, who I've known for a really long time, I think Fred Savage was on my mind and not that he would do this again. I mean, he wouldn't even do the reading. I <laughs> think I emailed him to do this. I'm like, you wouldn't do it when it was a real show. Now will you do it when it's dead and still got the same big no from him. Um, but I think that was on my mind also was how do I do more of that? Cause I felt like that was one season of a show. I, that's a show that I feel like if that were done a year ago, that would have found another life somewhere on, you know, cable or streaming
1: yeah i agree um and tell tell me about that video of the theme song which maybe we'll put up on the site or a link to it so okay. people understand that theme song there's an actual video a produced yeah. video of that song so tell me about that song
9: and i didn't tell you the story right i sent you the video to show to the actors yes no so they comments. would oh. <laughs> right,
0: right.
9: Um, okay. So I think some of this child star thing for me comes from a place of like when I was a kid, I was shy and, you know, wanted to be alone and, you know, very much an introvert and a shy kind of weird kid. And in my mind though, I wanted to be a child star. It was like those two things. I was quiet and alone, but desperately wanted to be famous, like at eight. And I think having done a little look, looking into this, I think maybe my dad had been a TV writer. And I think I have a vivid memory of him being on set and going to visit him. He was doing a family show with kid actors. And I just saw like, they're just better than me. Those are just kids who are, they're on TV. So they just have to be better than me. So I've always kind of been obsessed with child stars. Um, And in my mind, I think, as a kid, I kind of went to, like, my fantasy life was going to a place where I was on a TV show, and it was called That's Corky. And I would just, I'd be playing alone, I'd be playing handball by myself outside my house, and I would just see the um, opening credits where I kind of had a little bit of a 80s theme song in my head. Um, But it was kind of a punky Bruce, like a scrappy sort of kid who just, you know, kind of got into shenanigans. And that's, I guess, where I kind of, that was like my little escape as a kid. I later told my now husband about that. Um, And so when we were dating, I think he always just thought it was kind of cute. He would call me Torky, and that was just a little bit. Anyway, during the uh, wedding preparations where, you know, brides typically do everything, husbands do nothing. I think that was kind of an issue between us is that I was doing all the wedding planning, and he was, I thought, doing nothing until the actual wedding night when he got up and said, I have a surprise. And he, they brought out screens, um, and they did, um, he aired this video, which is what he had been producing the whole time, which was, he got a friend of ours was putting up a play. So he got that set. He had our, our friend's daughter, who's plays young Sally Bradford in the, in the video to do it. Um, he got those actors, he got the Edie McClurg who, um, appears at the end and he just put together like what this show was, which I think was in trying to make sense of what he put together. It was, um, I think like a different strokes, kind of Mr. Belvedere mashup, of <laughs> Punky Brewster sort of thing. Um, but it was truly the nicest thing, the sweetest thing anyone's ever done. For. I watched it so many times after that. Um, and it was a the theme song. Yeah, he had made up that theme song at some point and he had it, you know, scored and, and wrote, he wrote the lyrics and had it all done. And it was a, I mean, it was just the best thing ever. So that had to, that had to be brought to life at some point.
1: Such a great story. People have to see it. We'll put up we'll put up the link because it's such a perfect opening credit sequence from an 80s TV show.
9: Oh, so real. The names, the uh, the actors names. just <laughs> so, good.
1: Um, so was it was the process uh, fun or as fun as one of these development processes could be? Or did you feel like they were just slowly chipping away at what you loved?
9: I mean I didn't really I think I've even had worse than this. I think if anything maybe to a certain point they were a little bit hands off which sometimes is good and sometimes I think it's just like Dana Walden ne- is never putting the show on the air so they they're you know they've kind of um let go. Um it was good. I mean working with Notch, I always love working with her and Michael Showalter was great. And it was good. I mean I just, I think it was more that I really wanted this one <laughs> to get made and and it was just it was very disappointing after. Um, but I think it was also good because I think by the end of it, I realized, I think that experience more than any of these other kind of disappointing, you know, any anything else not going forward, I think it made me realize I just really want to be doing my own thing. And I think if that's more cable and streaming kind of sensibility, that's kind of what I've been doing, I think, since then. Maybe I've done one more broadcast show since I did that pilot, I think. And since then, it's just been more um, development and, and cable and streaming.
1: Okay. So that's back up a ways um to how you got started in your writing career
9: so yeah my dad had been um, a comedy writer he had done a lot of pilots and shows um and he he was his biggest writer, who's was um head writer for carson for johnny carson um i think somewhere in the back of my head i always kind of i don't know i don't know if i want i don't think i thought i was funny or thought i was a good writer but i think somewhere in my head it was like you can do that at some point. That is a job that people have. People can, where it comes. I think he, for as much as he talked about it, um, I think there was one experience that made me realize I wanted to do it, which is when I was at, uh, I went to Oberlin, and Jimmy Burroughs had gone there, who you know. Um, and my friend, I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to do anything in college. She dragged me to, he was speaking and he, and I went and he spoke for like 40 minutes about sitcoms. And I just remember that night calling my dad and be like, I know what I want to do. I want to write sitcoms, you know, after him talking for 22 years about it, charismatic, effusive way, talking about sitcoms. I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Um, so after college, I think near the end of college, I started kind of looking into some of those programs and looking into like how to become an intern or a PA Um, I went through, I was kind of talking to Jimmy Burroughs um, people. I remember talking to um, an AD at the time who was going to be doing his next pilots for that next pilot season after I graduated. And I think Jimmy had two pilots that year. He was going to do Conrad Bloom, which was Mark Feuerstein and Linda Lavin. And I'd heard of both of those people or I'd seen them. So I was like, that's the one to get on. Um, And the other pilot Jimmy was doing was Will and Grace. And I didn't know any of those people. And I just knew it was like some gay thing. And I didn't know. I was just like, I don't know if that's going to work. But I wanted to get on Conrad Bloom. But that one was completely staffed. and But they did find me a spot to be a PA on Will & Grace. So reluctantly, I went there. And um, yeah, so I got, I mean, I was, re- I, that's I got so lucky. Because that was one of the last shows, I think, even at this point. that you know, you get on the air and you stay on for eight years. Um, and so I just worked up. I worked at the ranks there. I was PA for the first season. I was writer's assistant starting in second season for a couple of years. And then I got a script when I was still like a script coordinator, maybe like fourth season and then was on staff until the end. Um, and it was, it was a great place to learn. I feel like it was it, people, you know, Greg Malins was there. Um, and it was coming off of friends. I think it was one of those last kind of shows that, you know, can, it can, it can last for a while. Um, And I did kind of feel like, I mean, I learned so much. I worked with such great people there. Um, Even as a PA, I just wanted to be in the writer's room. I just wanted to be a fly on the wall. I just wanted to sit in there and just, I think when I would finish my day as a PA, I would ask if I could just come over and and watch them, watch them work and watch them write. Um, So I learned a lot and it was a a tough first job and it was a long first job. Um, And I learned a ton. I'm extremely grateful for everything I learned there. And it was, it was, You know, it was tough, which I think was good. I think it was good because I think after that, it was sort of like I've lived through that and every other workplace can be, you know, it got a little bit easier, I think, after that. Of course, all those shows were short-lived and nothing has lasted as long for me since then. But it was a great first experience for me.
1: So you just kept kept in touch with Jimmy after... Like, how did that connection happen? Because he comes, he speaks to a whole room full of people at at college. How did you...
9: There was no real connection. I think maybe my dad and he had a friend in common who I think, you know, it's like however my name got to him and he just kind of put it away as like, this is so-and-so's friend, so find something for her. There was no real interaction with him so much until I, until I got there. And he was always lovely to me. I think once I was a PA and once I was there and then once I really kind of, um, you know, worked my way up, I think he, he was always very, um, you know, supportive of me. Um, but I don't, he wasn't like mentoring me and, you know, it wasn't hands-on, but yeah, I think, um, I, yeah, I just got very like, I don't think anything else around, like since then, I think that was one, really one of the last shows to even last that long. I yeah. think after yeah. that, I was sort of like, what, what shall I do? Like, what's my next? I was like, do I want to do the office? Do I want to do, <laughs> what am I feeling? What do, what do I, I want to do next? And it was just one, I think for the next, God, I don't even know how many years. Where are we now? It was just one season after another. I mean, that really was my first job was eight seasons. Then every job since then was just one season after another one. I won't say failure, but, you know, just one short-lived show after another, Um, which in some ways is good.
1: You
9: know, well, (laughs) (laughs) There was someone who said to me, I think it was a line producer says to me like, oh yeah, you always pick those weird, cool shows that don't work. <laughs> and I think that's true. I think given given the choice, when I've had, there have been season, staffing seasons where I have a choice of like, this is gonna be on for 10 years, but I don't love it. Or like, this is, or the grinder. Like, yes, I'm gonna pick that. Um, I think that's typically how I do it. Um, which has led me now to more of a cable streaming sensibility, which I think is, I think is, is better for me. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23 was one of those that, that stood out for me. I think I've had so many experiences where I can look at like there are shows that are I hated the job or I hated the day-to-day of it or just something in that room was not but I liked the show or there would be jobs where I really did not like the product we were making but I loved the room and, and loved the day-to-day. Um, Don't Trust the Bee was one of those that stood out for me as like love the job, love the people. Loved being there, um, and really was proud of the show, and, and loved the show. So that's that's rare. But what's good is I've had like every version of every experience um, since uh, yeah, since Will and Grace.
1: Yeah, it, it's so hard to get both. It's so hard to get on a, a show that's functional and where the show is also good. It's yeah. just um, and Will and Grace was. You know, I definitely know people that were on it. It sounds like it was tough. Like show night was tough, right? It was a very kind of competitive on the floor pitching.
9: Yeah. Yeah. Which was not my, yeah, which was not my strong. I mean, I also was like the young, I was like the baby on the show. And so I think I worked my way up to be like, I'm going to pitch something on, on show night. Yeah, it was. And I think it was very much show night and all the time. It was kind of the louder personalities and, You know, it was a time, I don't think this is, I don't think this is terrible to say. It was a meanish kind of place, you know? I mean, I think it was also a a family and it was, it was a loving and supportive place, but I think it was also, the joke was always like, never go to the bathroom, never leave the room because it's going to be talked about. So I didn't go to the bathroom for eight years. but I think, yeah, it was on show nights. I think Michael Patrick, came, there was some like real comedy. Laura Kightlanger was always there for show night. I think she was even doing this last, the revival of it as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was competitive and, and loving. But
1: yeah. <laughs> was there any part of you that was interested in doing the revival of it?
9: Um. No, no. Uh, no, no. I mean, I wasn't asked to, but also no. I mean, I seriously, I do have like such anxiety, even talking about just that first experience. It was, you know, it was, it was tough. And it was my first, it was, those were like my formative years of becoming a writer. Um, no, I, I watched a little bit of it, but I know I didn't want to, I, I would not have, have gone back to that.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so when did you start selling pilots?
9: Oof! Um, I remember it was later than I wanted to. I think I was—I think right off of Will and Grace, I was like, "Let's start developing." And I remember my agent at the time was like, "No, you're not ready to do that." To do that, I think it was a few years um, until I started doing it. And I'm trying to even remember the first one I did. Um, I don't know. I'd have to look back, but I don't even think I must have been a Fox something. I'll have to look back. Yeah.
0: Um and so you've
1: sold several over the years, and um, and I don't know this. I know your resume of the shows you've been on, but I'm realizing I don't know like which have been shot and which haven't, or you know what your experience you know with developing pilots has been.
9: None of them have been shot. I can tell you that. Um, I'm I've been working on the last couple of years I've actually been as I've been getting into show running. Um, so this is a this is a <laughs> fraught topic, but as I've been getting into um running some shows that haven't come from my brain, I have I have kind of found that I don't. That's not for me. I think there are people who can do that. I I I came on to after Grinder actually, I went onto a show midway through the show. It was kind of having some trouble. And I came into that. I think what I started getting, and I think I still kind of have this, is a reputation of someone who can kind of be a cool head and just someone who can come into chaos and kind of be the glue and kind of be a, be a, be a mom. And that's a reputation. I guess I was kind of good at it for a little bit. That's what I don't want to do anymore. But that first kind of show running experience after, right after the grinder, like right after, um, was that. It was kind of come in, there's chaos here, there's men screaming and crying. Can you come in and calm this down. Um, but at the same time I got to go in and help run a show and it got a little sticky there and I ended up running it by myself. Um, and yeah, I think from there I was like, this is a lot of work and really hard. And in some ways it's easier to run a show that doesn't come from me because it's a little bit, I'm a little detached. Like I sure I care, but I don't, (laughs) but like, I don't, you know, I care just enough for this thing to work. Um, and I just did another experience different from that, but in some way similar, where I just think I I will never, it's so much work and it's so much stress and so much drama. And so if it's not, if the end of the day, it's not going to be like this thing that worked was yours and you're finally seeing it come to life. Just, it's not, it's not worth it. It's not for me.
0: Yeah. And you have young kids, correct? Wait to-
9: yes, I do. Yeah, well, they're now my students. Um, yeah, it's um, yeah, I've got an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. Yeah,
1: and show running means not seeing much not of them. Not
9: seeing them. Yeah. On this last thing, I mean, the the thing I did a couple years ago, where I w- I came in to kind of help, um, kind of help write that ship a little bit. That was crazy. Where I was come, I was working until two in the morning and coming home. I, like I would just wouldn't see them at all. Um, and that was just way too much. And this last experience, I was like, if I'm going to do it, if I'm going to run the show, I'm going to do it where we can make the hours. I can We're done at five. I can come home. I can do some homework or at least bedtime. Um, and so that was good. And that actually was that part of the process was working. There was a lot that wasn't working, but that part actually was. Um, and that's how I would have to do it again. I mean, now that we you know, are going to be here for the next <laughs> year and a half teaching our kids, who knows how it's going to look. Um, but that's how I how I would want to do. It. And I, you hear the people can do it. I mean, I think of course at times there's going to be you're going to be shooting and you're going to be working crazy hours, or there's going to be a rewrite that you have to get done. Um, so I told to get that. But when it becomes like this is that's the norm. I think at the same time that I was doing that show where I was working till two in the morning, my husband was also doing a show where he was working. I mean, just the craziest hours ever. He was working. You know, he would leave on a Monday and come home. Wednesday night, he would leave for work with like a bag and a toothbrush. So that's where it's great. And you can't have two parents doing that. Um, and it's also just, this is TV. Like it just shouldn't be, nothing should be that hard. You just, yeah. you know, you're not doing it right.
1: So what were you doing when the stay at home order came down?
9: Oh my God. Um, okay. So I was in, I was running this show, um, for Netflix, uh, yeah, so this is what, two months ago now. Two months today, I realized with some of my friends and coworkers. And we were scrambling to get the final version of a pilot done after 20 weeks of work. 20 more than 20 weeks. And they extended us a bit. We were trying to get, I think of the like the two final weeks of that job, we were scrambling to get a third version of the pilot done. And I remember being a de- I feel like it was like nine eleven. I feel like I'll always remember sitting in that room. Probably six p.m. on a Wednesday night, and just seeing—I remember a, one of the writers' faces when it was Tom, H- the Tom Hanks news broke, and it was just—we're done. We're going home. That was it. And I think that was—we had a Thursday and a Friday where we still had a rewrite that we had to scramble and do to get it in, and to hear that it was not going. Um, a couple of days later, I think that they—they told us we're going to shut down for a week, and we're going to let you know next week what's happening. It all hinged on this rewrite, and so we. Um, then we're told it's not going. And it was, the timing of it was like, oh, okay, because of the virus, it's not, we're not going to proceed with the show. And they were like, no, completely unrelated. This was not going anyway. And we're like, but a little bit because of like, the virus and everyone's home now, right? No, no, absolutely has nothing to do with that. So yeah, so it actually, the timing of it worked. There was like a little bit of a show on a Friday to Monday being like, we're, I teach second grade now. Like it really was that quick. I'm just like, I am now homeschooling teacher
1: and have you been able to write during this when you're doing Um, that all day long with teaching your kids
9: no i have not been i have been making myself do it and it hasn't been easy i'm gonna i'm starting a new thing right now that i'm going to do with the Khan. and but for a while i was trying to do something on my own i'm like this is the chance to do that this is the chance to write like whatever that weird thing is and i think there is that pressure for everyone to be like what is you have the time now there's no excuse to not do that thing um it's been really hard with homeschooling and just with my husband working as well so you know everyone's got stuff they're trying to juggle but um i do think because i mean they just announced now i think we're gonna it's gonna be a few more months of this. so i i do think look i think we have jobs where we can stay home and be in our offices and and keep churning out material so i think it's actually kind of kind of good and it's kind of the part of the process I like the most is just to I feel like I will get at least like a pilot out of this um, so can't complain too much
1: um, yeah I guess it's just struggling with like what kinds of shows uh, are people going to be looking for now and after this and um, and you know comedy is feeling a little bit hard to write you know at the moment maybe not for everyone maybe you're not feeling that way but it's uh, It's that pressure that we're all writing our masterpieces during this. I'm just like, geez, that is a lot of pressure.
9: Well, I think it is too much. And I feel like anytime I'm like, I have to write this thing and it has to be like the thing I was meant. Like, you're just not going to write. You're not going to write anything with that kind of pressure. Um, In terms of comedy, I feel like it's been helping me. even just talking to other people and talking to other writers, I feel like one I can go back to like, even like a workplace drama that we came out of, I feel like it does kind of, it's normalcy. It's something I can kind of go back to. I find it, it can be reassuring and comforting. Um, and I think people are going to want to watch that. I don't know that people are going to be, I don't know that people are going to want to watch a ton of stuff about this time. Um, I think it depends on like how it's done. If it's sort of like in the, backdrop maybe, but I, I don't know that I want to watch too much virus shit after this, <laughs> to be honest.
0: Yeah, definitely
1: not. I'm not going to want to watch any. Um, well, yeah, I, oh, geez, sir. Um, I'm just glad that we got to do this script and we got to do it in front of an audience and uh, it was just so much fun and I love listening back to it. Um, and so I'm sure it'll just provide some escape and laughs it.
0: for our audience. I
9: hope so. Yeah. I did figure like, who's going to want to listen to this interview or listen to the thing, but people are home and desperate for things to do. Like I'm seeing videos of, you know, that naked marionette guy with pizza. Like people are looking for, people are getting desperate. So we might have a few more Listeners than I expected.
1: Yeah. Um, well, it was great. Thank you. I hope this wasn't as painful as you were expecting it to be. Um, it was really nice.
9: No, it definitely was. <laughs>
1: okay. All right. Well, it was great to talk to you, Sally. Good luck with teaching thank and writing. You
9: so thank you so much. You as well. Thank you. Thank you.
1: All right. Take care. That is our show for this month. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-host Ben Blacker and our associate producer Noah Findling. Uh, By the way, you guys should really follow Noah on Instagram at NoahBuiltTheArc. Especially check out his New York versus Los Angeles quarantine video. Uh, I really hope you can join us this Saturday, May 16th, for our first live Zoom reading. Go to HouseSeats.Live for tickets. It's a good site to be aware of, too, because uh, you can find out about uh, my co-host Ben Blacker's Thrilling Adventure Hour uh, live shows that he's doing over Zoom. He's uh, doing done a, one with Mr. Show. Uh, it's a good site to be aware of, but go to houseseats.live. Get your $10 ticket for our reading this Saturday, uh, May 16th, 5 o'clock Pacific Time, 8 o'clock Eastern, Uh, for a great cause. We'll be doing more of these, so follow us on social media to find out when. We're on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram and Facebook at Dead Pilots Society. Okay, everybody stay safe out there. Find a way to help someone. Be nice to yourself. And we'll get through this. Until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thanks for listening.